0: Go to a different passage tonight on the same event that we talked about this morning and look at that from a little different perspective. And uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14 tonight. We're dealing with the uh, miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, there's so much in that little event that takes place. As I was looking at that, I said, well, I wasn't sure if I should go to Matthew or go to John. So I said, I'll do both. I went to John this morning and we'll be in Matthew's gospel tonight. And looking at this event, we're going to begin in verse 13 of Matthew 14. And it says this, When Jesus heard it, he departed there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. And he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. And so they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about five thousand men, besides women and children. Lord, again, we look at this part of your Bible And Lord, we thank you for this great miracle that took place so many years ago. But Lord, we thank you that you are still the one who is uh, empowering us for ministry. And Lord, you are doing great and mighty things. You are the one who can move mountains. And so we just come to you tonight in faith, and we trust you, O Lord. And we ask that you teach us as only you can, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We came to this, uh, you notice that this text is slightly different, um, and by the way, the, the gospel records of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, many of them will have, like, sometimes they have the same miracles that are mentioned, and this is one of those that the gospel writers all record this event some of them don't record every one of the miracles of christ and everyone is from a slightly different perspective as i said this morning john's gospel primarily is associated with who jesus is and and that he was god incarnate and he presents jesus and the big picture of who christ is you come to matthew's gospel and matthew uh, presents jesus who is the king of the jews now they overlap because you remember in our morning text this morning from john six it, there it said that the people wanted to make him king and there was certainly those that were looking for messiah they were looking for someone who could um well solve their problems part of their problems would have been hunger and would have been the occupation of rome and all the things that were going on there and jesus some wanted to install him as king now and his timing wasn't such we don't get all those same details here in Matthew's account. Uh, we Again, and you come to the Gospels, you need to do what I call a, a harmony of the Gospels, um, where you look at each one of them, read out the accounts, and then you can get the bigger picture of all the details that are included there. Uh, in this one, we aren't told about the little boy that came with the loaves and the fish. And we aren't told that Jesus asked Philip to go find something to eat for the crowds. Um he, you don't see Andrew in the picture here. We just have very generically the disciples. And uh, and I think, that, again, the importance here isn't on them. It's on who Christ is. And so I want to look at this. And there are three primary reasons for this miracle. And I mentioned them somewhat today. The biggest one, and it's the overarching uh, reason, is that Jesus is enough. But But I want to look at just the three reasons here. And number one is to show that Jesus is indeed the bread of life. And again, in John's gospel, it it is a further discourse on that very uh, fact where Jesus talks about the fact that he indeed is the bread of life. And the miracle was really about him, not about the sustenance of bread, barley loaves, whatever. Um, Secondly, is to show that Jesus is greater than Moses. And we get that from the other gospel writers, and John in particular, where You remember the Jews venerated Moses and they said that, like, for instance, Moses gave their fathers bread in the wilderness in the form of manna. And Jesus corrects them on that. And he tells them that that it was actually from God, right? They knew that. But again, it's amazing how traditions go, right? In the book of Exodus, we know that the manna came from heaven, from God, directly provided. But by the time you come to the time of Jesus, some 1,500 years later... It was now Moses' miracle, and that seemed to have been the, int- the, uh, the way it goes. And isn't that the way sometimes we, we do things? We, we don't always attribute what uh, should be to God, and instead we attribute it to man. Now, Moses was a great man. He was a great prophet. He was used of God. He's certainly someone to emulate, if you were to look at the positive things in Moses' life. But he was just a man, nonetheless. And the glory really was given to Christ, and he corrects that with him. And that's one of them. And that was important, again, because it's easy to get your eyes on the wrong person. And again, the miracle here was about Jesus. Thirdly, it's to show that Jesus is Lord of creation. You know, I searched through the records of the Gospels, and you really only have two instances where Jesus appears to create something. And I say create. And usually, when you look at it, the other miracles, like he heals the body, um, but the only time where you see something actually change and create is the, issue, the uh, wedding at Cana of Galilee in John chapter 2 and he takes water and he turns it into wine and there's no you can't explain that scientifically anyway it's just, it was a supernatural miracle you just can't take water and turn it into wine it doesn't work that way but Jesus did that he creates this wine again showing that he is lord of creation in that um, he comes to this place too and he takes just a five barley loaves and two fish and he's able to create out of that a numerous amount so that 5,000 men could be fed and Beside the women and children, maybe twenty to twenty-five thousand people that were gathered there. I can only imagine what that would look like. I have sat in stadiums where we had thirty, forty thousand people, big stadiums and things like that, and that's a lot of people. And I can't imagine Jesus and all this crowd of people gathered there and then doing this miracle. It would have required an abundance of food and really an amazing amount and the very fact that it was able to be dispensed like it was the hour is late that's what it says here it was in the evening and they were getting ready to get done the day and here's all of a sudden this great big need that is presented before them well I want to look at this a miracle break it down a little bit further and just look at what Jesus does and most of it's found really, in just the opening verses here of, of verse 19. Well, verse 19 is going to be the verse we're going to look at primarily. And number one, we see Jesus blessed the bread. And I mentioned that a little bit this morning um, in the idea that he gave thanks for the bread. But here he also blesses the bread, it says. And the word blessing, is the especially from the Jewish perspective, was both something that was conveyed and something that was uh directed all right so when a jewish person was to bless someone or bless something um when they did that they like a rabbi would do that they were doing so acknowledging that all blessings come from god but that the blessing is a a, a continuing blessing It, it is extended to people and that's what jesus does here the bible says that he looked up to heaven right It says in verse 19, Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the ground. He took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. Again, where is this miracle originating? In heaven. And who is standing before them? The Lord God, who came from heaven down to earth. And there he is standing with them. And it says he blessed. He blessed. Now, I often wonder what exactly did he say when he blessed I'm sure it was loud enough that they would hear that um, however they were gathered now the traditional blessing of uh, Jewish people today when they sit down at a meal um, or they partake of something like that uh, they say something like this blessed be thou Lord our Lord our God the king of the world who has produced this fruit and this drink from the earth and from the vine and that is something similar they say it in various ways but Um, that is very much a well-known blessing that Jews do every time they sit down to a meal, those that are observant Jews, anyways. And Jesus would have probably said something very similar to that, but acknowledging that all this comes from God, the Lord God, King of the world or King of the universe. And we're reminded that uh, we need to be thankful and we need to also be a blessing to others and it's interesting that one of the the signs of the end times is that that there will be people that will be greedy and they will not attribute glory to god you go to first timothy chapter four and we have the description of the times nearing the end of well not the end of all time but prior to the lord returning to this earth and judging uh, judging the earth and in those latter times in those last days paul writes to timothy says now the spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith certainly we have seen a great movement away from christianity in western civilization that is going on it has been going on for the last 70, 80 years, really since, more, actually more like 100 years, ever since World War I, there has been a movement of, of nations going further away from Christianity or faith in that realm. And I would say in the last probably 30 years or so, there has been a very fast movement. And in the last just few years, um, it is now when you look at surveys And more and more people identify with no religion or they identify as an other religion, not something of the faith of Christianity. Now the Spirit expressly says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And that is going on. And if you know, and it's not just happening among people who are unbelievers, or you know, at least, but it's happening among people who profess Christ. I don't think some of them are believers either. There was, um, I think, it was in England this week, uh, a sermon that was delivered where the dean of a college, I think it was at Cambridge, if I remember correct, um, talked about. Jesus and his trans body, as in transsexual body. And how the wound in his side appeared to be that which resembled uh, a woman's uh, genitalia. What? Where is this coming from? And I just say this. That's blasphemy, number one. And number two, it is just, it's heretical. And it is taking that which is holy. And the greatest sacrifice that has ever taken place... And bringing it into, well, some sinful agenda is what it's doing. Speaking lies in a pro, uh, in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And it was the dean of that college, if remember correct, that was defending that. And I think, whoa, whoa, unto us, right? If, and I hope I have my facts here right, but I believe it was Cambridge. That I just saw in passing uh, an outline or, on that, and. I was like, wow, I can't believe it. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. You know, that there is a close association with doing strange dieting and things like that in the name of God, anyways. And I'm not talking about just diets that, you know, whatever. There's all kinds of diets out there. Not necessarily bad by any means. But those that would come along and say, oh, by the way, you shouldn't get married. It's a bad thing. Oh, boy, watch out for those that that say that. Um, we live in a world where uh, more and more people are choosing not to get married. And it doesn't mean they're abstaining from sex or anything like that, but they are abstaining from marriage, certainly. Um, but also abstaining from foods, various things that are... And it says here very clearly that God created these things and they are to be received with thanksgiving. You can choose to eat what you want to eat, I guess. That's not the point here on this thing. But it's this, that everything that we do should be sanctified by God. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. And it's interesting how Jesus blessed that bread. He took that bread and he, he broke that bread, uh, he blessed it, and as he lifts his, this bread and fish to heaven, toward heaven and looks up and he, he blesses it, he was acknowledging that this indeed was a sanctified item to be used, a very common item, but something to be used in this miracle. God can do that. He can take that which is very common and use it for his glory. And the illustration here is that he can take people and do the same thing, right? He commissions his disciples to be involved in this miracle. He just commissions them to go out uh, from here. And there is that commission he eventually gives to his church as well to go out into all the world. we to do that. And he takes very common things like common men and women. And he uses them for his glory. Why? Because he blessed us. He's like that. In Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says this, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. We need more people to bless. That might be a good way to diffuse something. When someone comes at you cursing at you you know what just say oh Lord bless you because that's what Jesus told us to do do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven you see that blessing from heaven extends to his people. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. The teaching there is very simple, that even those that are unbelievers, even those that perhaps are your enemies, they still benefit from the blessings of God. They may not acknowledge it. I'm sure there were people in that crowd that were seated there, that were there just because they wanted bread and they wanted maybe Jesus to entertain them with some good words. Sometimes that's what people show up to church for, is to hear something different and maybe to grab something to eat on the way out. I don't know. I don't think you'll last as a church if that's what people are in it for. It'll eventually dwindle away because it never feeds your soul. But even the unsaved, the unbelieving world, benefits when God sends rain Secondly, Jesus broke the bread. And I, I didn't talk about this this morning, but it's important. The, all the accounts talk about him breaking the bread. And First of all, there's a very practical reason. You can't take a loaf of bread and stuff it in your mouth. You can try. I'd like to see it sometimes, but it doesn't happen, right? You have to take and either slice the bread or break the bread. And that was more common there. And You broke bread. And to make it useful and something that you could put in your mouth and eat it had to be broken again a picture of what God does verse 19 again he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples and I think of that as he breaks this bread and continues to break this bread enough so that he continues to do so to enough to feed thousands of people It almost seems impossible in my mind to figure out how that could be done in such an efficient manner that all those people could sit at one meal and eat. But he does it. Why? Because Jesus is like that. His blessings are like that. He broke bread. I think of the amount of, really, the picture here in the bread is that that bread which brought nourishment and sustenance and fed people and took away their hunger, it had to be broken before it could be used. And you know that's an image that we see over and over again in scripture. How God has to break those of his own sometimes to make them more useful. I think of Job. Job chapter 1, we have Job, he's a righteous man, He shunned evil, right? A just man, the Bible says that was God's commentary on him. He was perfect not that he was without sin but he could not be accused of sin there wasn't anything in job's life that stood out as wrong very few people you ever run into like that that it's sincerely so job was one of them some have said job was probably the most righteous man that walked this earth next to jesus christ and yet job had to repent in dust and ashes when he finally understood who god was and we read in Job chapter 1 and chapter 2 where God just broke Job. He took this man who was already a good man and he was, he was doing the right things. He's offering up sacrifices for his children because, and he's exercising the priestly ministry in his own household. And he's, he's offering sacrifices for them because they might have sinned in their heart. That's how concerned he is for his own children. And Satan is loosed on Job. God allows him to take Job and test him up and down in every way and even take his health. And the next section of Job, all the way through that, is a series of dialogues, right, with his miserable, comfortable comforter friends that come and they get it wrong. And there's Job. He doesn't understand what's going on. And God just breaks him and breaks him and breaks him and breaks him. And you come to chapter 42... Verse 1, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Sometimes you have to be broken vessels before you really see God. Broken. And he goes, Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. This man that God says was just and feared him and he shunned evil, later had to repent. If Job had to repent. Guess what? I have to repent. You have to repent. We have to when we stand before holy God. And it says look at this he goes on he says so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Timonite my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. And Job is vindicated and his three self-righteous friends they aren't. And I like this. Look what it says. Now therefore take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept him lest I deal with you according to your folly. Because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Timonite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Naamathite. Went and did as the Lord commanded them they were obedient too. For the Lord had accepted Job, and the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all those who had been in his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house, and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. By the way, if you go back to the beginning of Job, that's double of everything he had. When he comes to the end, and by the way, his children, his first children were, were killed and died. And, by the way, he's, he had double the children, too, when he was done. Why? Because he had those that were in heaven and those that were now on earth. And he goes on talking about that. But I, I love that. The, the, verse 16, Now, after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died, old and full of days. We have the wonderful story of Job, but he, we would not have it in Scripture as such unless he was a broken man. God broke Job. Jesus broke bread. And he will not allow anything in our life that isn't for good. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And why? Why? for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren we are being formed even now as he someone put it like on god's anvil right as he hammers us out sometimes in those hurtful things in those times where we're broken vessels they're part of that process of being conformed into the image of his son and that's a predestined thing it will happen i might not look a lot like jesus sometimes in my actions sometimes i neglect those things and i i might not look like him but he's working on me he's working on you someday i will be like him the apostle paul same thing i think of paul he he was a rising star in judaism wasn't he he would have been, well, he was the man of the hour to persecute the church. And yet God broke him, didn't he? Not only in the time of his conversion when he loses his sight, and he sees the risen Jesus, and he understands who he is, calls him Lord, but later he would carry with him a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that is, but... You can probably imagine your own thorn in the flesh, whatever that is. There are several times that God sometimes allows those things to happen. 2 Corinthians 12, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And you know, here's Paul. You know, he was was always kept, as he says elsewhere, He was what he was by the grace of God. And sometimes it's the thorn in the flesh or the messenger of Satan that keeps us close to the heart of God. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And you know, that's the way the Lord works. He often will take those those things that hurt us so often. And this world is a place of hurt. And he uses it for his glory to bring us in alignment with him and keeping us really close to him. When we're weak, he's strong. He broke bread. There are many such illustrations in scripture. I think of of Daniel. Daniel, the, the man we think of as so strong and who would have known the Lord. So it seems like he was a, well, first of all, he was a prophet. He had kings come to him to consult in the revelation of God. All those different things. He was a great man, but Daniel would have gone through some tremendous hurts in his life. We talked about that um, one of our studies on Wednesday night. We have no indication Daniel was ever married, nor his three friends. And matter of fact, we know from Scripture that it was the chief eunuch who was over them. That implies they also were eunuchs. Probably as young men, they were castrated. Think of that. That's a hard thing for a man to accept. If that is indeed the case with Daniel. Yet we don't hear of that. It wasn't the the talk of his life or anything like that. He found himself serving a pagan king in a pagan kingdom. And yet God was with him. God would use him. And you have the account of the fiery furnace and the lion's den. And you have all those things that are there in the scripture. And it is for our betterment. And yet it was those Hebrew children... And later men that went through those events. We have the widow of Zarephath. How about Elijah by the dry brook? The widow of Nain. How about Mary, Martha, Lazarus? You have all these accounts that go on throughout scripture. And it's there that God is glorified. He breaks bread that it may be used. The methods of his breaking sometimes vary greatly. What breaks me won't break you, maybe. It goes and he does different things. And I think of the analogies and the metaphors used in Scripture. In Ezekiel, he uses the the fiery furnace, right? And you have that picture. Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. They are all bronze, tin, iron, and lead. And in the midst of a furnace, they have become dross from silver. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have all become dross, therefore, behold, I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem as men gather silver, bronze, iron, lead, and tin into the midst of a furnace to blow fire on it, to melt it. So I will gather you in my anger and in my fury and I will leave you there and melt you. Yes, I will gather you and blow you on you with the fire of my wrath and you shall be melted In its midst. As silver is melted in the midst of the furnace. So shall you be melted in its midst. Then you shall know that I. The Lord. Have poured out my fury on you. You know what. Sometimes it takes that kind of. Really a breaking. In that case for a nation. And that's prophetic. Some day Israel. Which as a nation today. Is not following the Lord. There's great wickedness going on in Israel today. And yes, there are believers there, and there are people looking for Messiah, and there are others, but it will come at a great cost someday to a nation as the furnace of God is heated up in judgment. And then people will know, they will know who He is. Jeremiah, the potter the word which came to jeremiah from the lord saying arise and go down to the potter's house and there i will cause you to hear my words then i went down to the potter's house and there he was making something at the wheel and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter and so he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make isn't that great you have the moldable clay as it's on that wheel turning and he's he's shaping it the way he wants and the picture here is what God is doing in the life of a prophet and in the life of a nation and who has no right to say I want to be like this no the potter makes the vessel not the other way around then the word of the Lord came to me saying oh house of Israel can I not do with you as this potter says the Lord Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Oh, a solemn reminder. And they would be taken by the Babylonians, and God would reshape them into a nation that would follow him after that generation. There's a lot more of those illustrations that we could look at the the breaking of the bread. Jesus blessed the bread. Jesus broke the bread. And then Jesus broadened the bread. I needed another bee. He expanded that which was there. He broadened it. And I mentioned that this morning in today's message out of John. It was a little boy who brought a few loaves of bread and two small fish. And he took all of those things, which weren't much, and he fed thousands. Jesus broadened the bread. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. And you know we're reminded that that's the way God works. Really he takes the small things and he broadens them and he takes our experiences and he broadens them why for his glory for his ministry and sometimes it is for a purpose that's so far great we don't even see it at the time many times i would say most of the time we do not see what is going on in our life as as god sees it in the end so many of the stories in scripture i think of jacob who goes and he serves his uncle laban he thought he was just going to serve for a little while he ends up serving him for 20 years 20 years yet out of Jacob and the marriage that would come the marriages that would come out of that God would bring up a nation 20 years in a man's life Then he goes and he wrestles with God. Genesis 32, you read of that, he wrestles with God, and Jacob never walks the same again after that. The hollow of his thigh was touched, and he always walked with a limp from there on. Sometimes God hurts us in places where we rely for strength, and he does so for our best interest. How about Moses on the backside of the desert? How about Paul when he was in prison? How about Joseph down there in Egypt? I think you said you were teaching on Joseph in the Sunday school with the kids. Story of Joseph. Probably the greatest, one of the greatest stories of the whole Bible. Just because it only shows what a sovereign God can do and what man can't. And you have Joseph who was, he was the The apple of his father's eye. He was the favored son. For no reason of his own. He wound up as a slave in Egypt. And then he went from slave to worse. He went to prison. And there he remains in prison. We don't know how long. Some say maybe up to 10 years he was in prison. For a crime he didn't commit. What an injustice. And yet the Lord would exalt him out of that. To the throne of Egypt next to in power only pharaoh everything that was pharaoh's was given to joseph in his charge and it was there that must have hurt joseph all along the way greatly in his life he had been taken from his country taken from his family he had been put into slavery he had been in a prison and all of this taking place and only in the end of things do you realize did joseph realize exactly what god was doing and yet he through that he trusts the lord doesn't he Genesis 50 verse 20 I think this is a wonderful verse it says but as for you he's referring to his brothers they're the ones that sold him into slavery you meant evil against me but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive sometimes we don't realize the hurts and things that break us and if we'll give that to God he will take it and he uses it and in this case it was literally to save his people his descendants and out of that nation jesus would come and then someday jesus would be on the shore and he'd be breaking bread and feeding thousands of his countrymen and god used a man like joseph to be part of that oh there's much more that could be said but you know Jesus blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and then he broadened the bread. Let's ask him to do the same thing with us. Lord, we come to you again, thanking you for the word of God. And Lord, I thank you that you can bless a life and you can break a life. But you use it, Lord, to broaden things. And Lord, we ask for for ministry opportunities in these days. Help us to be people of faith. And oh God, that we would live in such a way that Jesus would be glorified. And I pray, O Lord, that you might just work in our church, work in our families. And Lord, may those troubling things that hit us, O God, may they just also be something that would glorify you, if we'll let it. So we commit our time to you, and we ask you to be with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.